legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is lost cast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 49. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Jeff Blair. And we're doing an interview today with some fine folks that we met uh, a couple years ago. We were talking about this in just the last podcast um, with uh, Play Canvas, who we first met at, uh, I believe it was GDC 2011. And like right off the bat, we were talking about like, oh, hey, we should podcast sometime. And then here we are uh, two plus years later. It's kind of how we do things here at Lost Decades. So uh, why don't <laughs> you guys... Like to never. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why don't you guys uh, introduce yourselves? Okay, so I'm Will, Will Eastcott. I'm CEO of Play Canvas. And um, yeah, I've been in the games industry for about 16, 17 years now. And I've worked for Electronic Arts and Sony and Activision. So previous to Play Canvas, I was a technical director for European studios at uh, Activision. And um, but during my time at Sony, I met Dave, who will introduce himself now. But uh, um, yeah, Dave's uh, CTO of Play Canvas. Hello, yeah, I'm Dave Evans. Uh, I'm the CTO. Uh, yeah, I've been same sort of thing as Will. I've been came from kind of console games background. I worked at Sony for almost ten years on PlayStation Two and Three stuff. Um, and about three years ago, made the switch to web development and HTML5 and WebGL and stuff like that. Very cool. So, uh, why don't you guys tell us about Play Canvas? Sure. Okay. So, essentially, it's a uh, fully integrated end-to-end platform for building and publishing video games. So, I guess the thing that really makes it stand apart is that it's completely cloud-hosted. So, as far as we know, it's the fir- it's the world's first uh, cloud-hosted game dev platform. Um, now, because it's it's browser-based all of the tools are built completely around HTML5 and um, the engine itself that the the tools are built around is 100% JavaScript. Um, So the tools platform that we've built is, I I guess you can say it's broadly analogous to Google Docs for games. Um, It's a website you can go and build games collaboratively with other people. Um, So there's real-time collaboration built into the heart of the tools so you can you can load up your project and you can work seamlessly side by side with other people and see exactly what they're doing no matter where they are in the world and what device they're, they're, they're working on um, so I guess initially our focus is on on 3d game development um, as Dave said you know our, our background is is consoles so um, we've got a you know good grounding in 3d graphics so the engine is largely based on, on uh, for 3D games, and uh, we use the WebGL API to uh, power the graphics. Um, yeah, so so that's pretty much uh, an, an overview. Very cool. So, what is it like for a developer, say, getting started with Play Canvas? Say, like, um, say you're a podcast listener, for example, and you just heard about Play Canvas, and you want to like. Yeah, I want to play with that. I want to make a little game in it or something. Like, like, where do they? What should they do at that point? Well, all you need to do is just head to playcanvas.com, 
and it's incredibly easy to get started. So it just takes you a couple of minutes um, before you're ready to start making your game. So you just sign in with your, your Google account, or if you don't have a Google account, then um, you can use uh, other credentials to sign in with uh, Mozilla's Persona service. Um, and once you've signed in and you've just chosen a username, you've got access to the tools. So you can um, check out your profile that you have, and your profile is kind of uh, analogous to what you might find on, say, github.com. So uh, there's a bit of information about you. There's a list of projects that, that you're working on. And um, when you log on for the first time, you'll notice there's, there's a bunch of tutorials and sort of live interactive work, uh, walkthroughs that, that can guide you through learning the tools. So that's pretty much the first thing that people try to do when they start using Play Canvas is that they follow some of these um, walkthroughs. And it, it steps you through some uh, common activities like animating a character or setting up some dynamic lights or uh, setting up some physics, setting up audio, that kind of stuff. Yeah, awesome. I mean, what, what we've tried to do, because uh, I mean, I heard you guys talking about 3D game development a few weeks ago, and it's a lot of the people who come to play Canvas may not have done much 3D game development before. So we're trying lots of different things to try and kind of make that easier, just um, giving you like a character to start off with and letting you animate that and, and sort of step you through the, the initial stuff um, because that can be really kind of daunting. Um, but a yeah. lot of the rest of it is the same as any other game development, right? So just moving things around, it's just those things are 3D models. Yeah. I, I definitely feel like uh, 3D uh, game development especially can be very intimidating because, like, I remember back in, uh, in high school, you know, 3D games were just starting. Like, you know, I wanted to be making games back when Doom was a thing and all that. But then, like, when 3D came out and, like, you know, Quake, and it, it became pretty clear that games were going to be 3D. Um, like, I didn't realize at the time that 2D games could be around forever. But, like, it, it seemed to be that games were going towards 3D. And, like, 3D is, uh, it's not just, like, a little bit harder than 2D, to me, anyway. I think it's a lot harder than 2D. So it's nice to have these tools that kind of, you know, simplify uh, that for you. Yeah. I think the big thing with 3D is that uh, it just, if you're doing it from the ground up, it, you just need a much better mathematical grounding than a 2D. Yeah, and, and actually that's one of the biggest things we've tried to take away. I think one of the initial goals was like, we do the hard math bit so you don't have to because uh, I hate matrix math and I get a <laughs> physics degree. <laughs> um, so um, so we've really tried to avoid all that and, and a lot of, you know, if you're just, uh, if you're a game developer or a game designer, what we really wanted you to end up doing is saying, here is my player character set position set you know, facing, look at this and, and just not have, and you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Um, I mean, beyond that, we've, we've uh, fully integrated a, uh, a 3D physics engine into, into the tool set. So, um, you know, to go beyond just the basic maths of moving objects around um, to, you know, full th uh, rigid body uh, simulation, uh, that's all just built in. So all you need to do is just set up uh, collision shapes and some basic properties like, you know, how does this thing bounce? How does this thing slide across surfaces? And you know, you can you can build up really complex physics simulations really quickly. And I think you know, to go back to what uh, you were saying about the two D versus 
3D um, thing about you know the difference in difficulty. Um, I mean, I'd like to be able to at least kind of gain parity there. I mean, you, I think the big difference is in the authoring of the the assets, right? Make, getting the artwork, sourcing really good artwork um, used to be really difficult. You'd have to know a decent artist, and that was a bit of a problem. Um, I mean, I'm I'm no good in 3D Studio Max or Maya. I mean, I can ba barely use them. But what what I can do is I can go to any of these many di online digital marketplaces where you can buy really amazing uh, 3D models uh, for just a few dollars and then you can import those into your game and use them. So you can actually build some pretty cool games if you have uh, very basic knowledge of maths and no um, artistic talent at all. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because um, the 3D models are just inherently more flexible. You know, it, it's very... Mm -hmm it's much easier for someone to publish a model that can be used in many types of games versus a 2D art asset. I mean, they're very rigid, uh, whereas 3D models are much more flexible in terms of like how and, and where you can use them, um, which is also attractive for us as an indie dev studio, right? Like That's one of the reasons we've been talking about 3D um, is because a large portion of our time ends up being spent on art asset <laughs> creation. Um, yeah, and so absolutely. that's why one of the yeah, things I can I, Yeah, I can imagine it is a bigger, bigger deal for you guys because, I mean, if I look at... Um, your games, I mean, there's a very distinctive style that runs through all of the artwork. Um, but when I make a game, I just have to go to, you know, one of these online marketplaces, and I can buy a vehicle from one of them, I can buy a character from another one, and pretty, you know, uh, they look pretty uh, good together. I mean, you, you do sometimes get a bit of variation in style, but, but generally speaking, a lot of the 3D assets work better together. Yeah, and, and the lighting is done dynamically or, you know, uh, kind of not, it's not baked into the model itself necessarily. And so you don't have to actually worry about, you know, where's the light source coming from in this 2D asset and how is that relative to the rest of the assets and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. pretty interesting stuff. Uh, 3D is, is very powerful. I also think, um, like, there's been this huge kind of retro, what, the last quite a few years now actually the kind of pixel art and, and the big sort of retro scene and I'm convinced that the next sort of stage of that retro thing is the kind of early PS1 like PS2 early PS2 era retro stuff which is getting easier and easier to create you've got Blender Blender's amazing it's got a 3D modeling package open source 3D modeling package that is really really amazing for, for a free product um and actually, I think there's going to be people start. I mean, I think there already is, but there's going to be people starting to to do sort of indie 3D stuff. Oh, absolutely! I think uh, Unity has been a big driver of that too. Um, yeah, because that's a big, it's a you know very indie friendly platform. Uh, yeah. and low poly. You know, I've heard said low poly is the new pixel art. <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty interesting. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about kind of how Play Canvas came to be. I mean, I think that we've probably talked about it in our various meetups at the Thirsty Bear. Um, yeah. But <laughs> so kind of, you guys were working together at Sony, I believe. Uh, was that right? Yeah, that's, that's right. correct. Yeah, yeah. So uh, D Dave was uh, running um, a tools group there, and I was um, working there for just a couple of years uh, between uh, sort of EA and Activision. And, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, after I moved to Activision, uh, I started to become 
more aware of some of the, the newer web technologies that were um, being implemented into, into browsers. And I was looking for opportunities to use some of these technologies um, to build tools for some of the game studios that I was working with at Activision. So um, those studios, there was one called Freestyle Games in uh, Leamington Spa that did G DJ Hero, and uh, there was Bizarre Creations up in Liverpool that did Blur and um, various other racing titles. And um, they had very big tools, tools teams, um, and I guess they mainly used Windows-based uh, UIs for their tools, and uh, I was kind of thinking it'd be cool to implement some of these into, into the browser. Um, but it was pretty difficult to make that happen because uh, the tool sets and, well, the technology bases that these studios had were developed over, you know, maybe sort of 5, 10, 15 years. And to make big changes to their workflows uh, was just too high risk. Uh, and the return wasn't certain. So um, I was kind of still very curious about the opportunities for um, using HTML5 and building web-based tools, but I kind of figured I'd have to do that outside of Activision. So um, I met up with Dave, and um, we talked about the uh, possibility for building a, you know, a browser-based uh, game engine. And... Um, at the time, we hadn't decided that it was going to be a, cl a cloud-based platform. Um, that was still to be decided, uh, but the, the spec for WebGL had just been released, um, and it looked really cool. Um, I mean, I'd spent, you know, 15 years doing OpenGL stuff, so it was completely familiar to me. Um, and it just seemed at the time that um, HTML5 was going to be uh, that ubiquitous uh, runtime or technology platform that video games would be delivered on uh, in the future. Um, and we decided to make that bet. Um, and I think, you know, two and a half years, three years on, um, I'm still completely comfortable with that decision. Um, and I think it was absolutely the right decision. And, um, you know, and the, the momentum behind HTML5 just continues to build. It's interesting that we finally saw IE uh, get on the WebGL bandwagon. So yeah. very recently, I think it's a good indicator that you know when Microsoft is forced to acknowledge that it exists, <laughs> it's a good sign. Ab absolutely, I think that's really really exciting to see that um, Microsoft's taken that decision, and um, it also means that it's not just on the desktop uh, that you're going to be seeing WebGL. It's going to be on 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 uh, Windows based. Uh, smartphones and, and tablets as well. Um, so that's that's really awesome. Um, it is. Um, you are already seeing uh, Windows, like JavaScript and Canvas API implemented for, say, Windows 8 Store. And I don't know for certain, but um, I would imagine that they're probably bringing something similar to Xbox One. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a, a far leap to say that you could do 3D games uh, in JavaScript and WebGL on Xbox sometime in the future. Yeah, I mean, we'll be watching that really closely. That would be very exciting. Um, I mean, I, I think uh, Microsoft's made a, a great deal of progress um, with IE over the last few years. And I think, you know, they're well aware that they get a lot of stick for um, falling behind uh, Mozilla and, and Google with implementing some of these APIs into their browser. But they've done a great job of playing catch-up over the last, say, 12 months. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, in some cases, IE is actually one of the faster rendering engines for uh, Canvas and, and maybe WebGL. I don't know uh, necessarily, but for for sure for Canvas, uh, IE is is one of the better ones. Yeah, we're finding that Play Canvas doesn't 100% work on um, in IE11 just yet because there's still a few remaining bugs in the implementation that, that, that they're definitely working on right now. So it's just a matter of time before that's fixed. But um, yeah, it shouldn't be too long. But uh, you know, we'll be uh, submitting uh, more of these bug reports to Microsoft to get get everything up and running properly. But uh, it shouldn't take too long. That's cool. Uh, so I wanted to kind of circle back to uh, how Play Canvas formed. I mean, so you guys have all this, uh, you know, AAA experience. Um, it's really interesting to me because I feel like, uh, you know, HTML, especially at that point in time, was um, not full-featured at all. I mean, you guys were getting into HTML5 at a point in its history where it was just an idea, you know, and, and the support and the tooling was just not there at all. Um, and so coming from kind of that AAA game development environment, uh, how was that? Well, actually, I think I think part of that is exactly why we did it was because when when Will and I first met to talk about what would become Play Canvas, um, WebGL was in Chrome nightly and wasn't even in the stable build of Chrome. And I think we kind of looked at that and went, you know what, people are going to want to build games with this, and they're going to want tools. Um, and that's kind of what we know is tools development and stuff like that. So, um, so really, yeah, we we kind of, we, uh, yeah, we we kind of sat there and thought that in two years' time or a year and a half's time, we want to kind of have a full tool set that's going to work with HTML5 or with WebGL in particular. Um, but in terms of coming from from the console stuff, um, I guess one of the major differences has been the kind of the spectrum of developers you encounter when you're working on the web. The games industry, you've traditionally got quite, I guess, quite technical developers. They've you know, we were talking about earlier on about the three the stuff you need to know or used to need to know to do three D game dev. Um, a lot of the developers in the games industry have kind of self selected for being quite mathsy, quite technical. Whereas with web developers you've got a lot more people who are interested in design and have just kind of fallen into the development bit. Um, and so a lot of I mean a, a lot of what we're doing is trying to bring those people into the world of 3D sort of content and 3D development stuff. So that's been really interesting is kind of, it really forces you to, to make your tools better. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting people... point. Um, I, I think that it's kind of where we came from too. I mean, Matt and I are web developers by trade and game enthusiasts. And yeah. at the point where the web browser started to become viable for games is when we actually got into game development, you know, as a as a career. <laughs> and yeah. before that, we just we didn't really have any idea what we were doing, and we still don't. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think that's it, <laughs> I, I think that's not true. Um, I think um, what but what you find so the, what you find is like people like you guys who've come from I don't know. Were you ever Flash developers? No, no, no. 
I kind of tinkered look? with it, but uh, never anything really serious. I made a you know handful of unplayably bad games. <laughs> yeah. So you I think the only thing I had before doing web development was I messed around in DirectX uh, and BitBlit and Windows a little bit, but right. Well, that's kind of I guess I don't know. That seems like the opposite end to Flash. <laughs> right. It does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I think there's the, the kind of a lot of the developers we're encountering. If you gave them just a kind of library and a bunch of docs, it may not it, it they wouldn't be happy with that almost because people who've come from flash they've used that they need they, they want something a bit more visual to get started and again it's kind of what unity have done like bringing a lot of that kind of the visual editing side of stuff to it and and i've always thought like we've always said that play Canvas is not a no programming required environment that you definitely need to be able to program um but or at least in order to write a complete game, you need to be able to program. But um, but I think there's kind of a happy balance between giving some people something visual where they can position entities and stuff in 3D space and they can see the trigger volumes and they can see all this sort of stuff, um, but also sort of full access to basically a coding API to make the game so that you can do whatever you want, but if you're someone who's a bit more visual or you're just doing stuff that is easier when you can see where things are positioned, like, you know, positioning triggers and stuff like that and enemies and spawn points and things, then, then you've got that as well. Yeah. And the tooling for HTML5 is still, I mean, just in general, pretty awful. And so I think it's really cool that you guys are building, you know, something that kind of solves that issue. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's, so, there's so many different technologies out there uh, for HTML5 game developers. I mean, in fact, to be honest, we're, we're pretty spoiled. I mean, there's, there are countless frameworks if you, if you want to start out making a game. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a website, html5gameengine.com, and it lists a lot of them. And, um, uh, you know, so you, you can just kind of uh, decide what kind of game you want to make. And uh, based on how you like to develop there's a solution out there for you. So there's plenty of developers who are perfectly happy to open Sublime Text and just hack code. That's great. Some people don't care about having tools, but other people do want uh, a really solid set of tools that just help them iterate really quickly. So, you know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of making a little game demo now, and um, it's taken me about the space of a day to make a game uh, where I've been able to just iterate so quickly that if I'd have just used a text editor, it probably would have taken me two weeks. Um, so right. tools are incredibly important, but you know, I know there's people out there who, um, you know, would rather just be using something, you know, just a low-level API. But to be honest, I think that that's not the majority. I, I think um, the vast majority of developers out there um, want to use some kind of a tool set and. I, and I, I've been kind of surprised that the development community or the the uh, the tools provider community out there has been very slow to react to this. So um, there's still not very much out there if you if you want some kind of visual editing environment for um, 3D HTML5 content. So it's kind of surprising to me that Adobe hasn't really jumped on that. I mean, I feel like they had a big opportunity, especially with Flash. Um, 
and I know they have some stuff, but it seems to me like they could have positioned themselves as the go-to tool for HTML5 content. Yeah, so um, we went to uh, MozFest last week, and I was chatting to a guy um, who works on Away3D. Um, so that's basically, um, I mean, it's, there are tools associated with Away3D, but it's basically a 3D engine. And it, uh, it does have a, um, a flash backend to it. Um, but I know they've just recently ported it to um, WebGL. Um, I think Adobe backed them some, somehow. And um, I, I, I don't know whether that's kind of uh, an indication from Adobe that they are maybe uh, cooling a little bit to um, Stage 3D and, and warming to WebGL. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, both of those technologies are just for rendering textured triangles, right? Um, it's just for pu pushing pixels. What Adobe really cares about, I guess, is um, platforms that can be used for, for you know, building really great, compelling content. Um, so I don't think... Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if uh, Stage 3D um, kind of... Uh, well, was was I don't know how to phrase it. Ramped down somehow. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't predict the future on, with that. But but my sus my suspicion is that um, uh, WebGL will um, uh, become you know supported on absolutely every single device everywhere. And um, you know, I think developers will migrate to that rather than Stage Three D. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. And especially since I think the Flash IDE was probably a driving factor in. Uh, you know, the really huge popularity of Flash-based games and Flash-based gaming portals. Yeah, uh, so, I, I, think, uh, I think that, you know, some of the frameworks out there have been designed specifically to help Flash developers um, move to HTML5. So um, I've not um, sort of scrutinized, say, the Pixie.js API in any great detail, but I, as far as I understand it, um, They've tried to um, structure it in a way that is is friendly to Flash developers. Is that right, Dave? Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, I think those guys were Flash developers and then decided they needed a WebGL or a, like an HTML5 um, library and so based it on some of the stuff from Flash. Yeah, I was actually taking a look at Pixie.js the other day. Uh, I was interested in it because um, our games are all Canvas-based and our engine is Canvas-based, but I would like to have a 2D WebGL-backed solution at some point. So I was investigating Pixie.js, and I came across uh, an object they have called m a movie clip. <laughs> and that, uh, right away, I was like, oh, Flash. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we've uh, seen that, like, Photon Storm's uh, Phaser game engine, that one's based on Flixel, which is a Flash game engine. And Phaser actually uses Pixie under the hood as well. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really like. I, I like the way Pixie did it. They just kind of went. What do we want to write? Is what we want to write is a really fast renderer. And we'll just do that, and um, and concentrate on that bit. And then everything else is kind of separately built on top of that. I think it's a it's yeah. a nice idea. So, uh, was it scary for you guys to make the jump from, you know, AAA jobs to you know startup life? Yeah, 
they have kind of done it. You, you'd, you'd already started your own startup, hadn't you, Dave? Yeah, that's true. I, I kind of left, um, I think I left in September and then I met up with Will to, and we sort of started Play Canvas in January or February um, of three years ago. But I'd left to basically to... I don't know what happened. I kind of been reading about the startup stuff and the Silicon Valley, and I kind of figured that I could do something on my own. So I'd start. I'd left to start making a tool for game developers that would just make localization easy. Um, so just handle like kind of version control for your text strings and localization stuff. Um, and then. So I did that for two or three months and actually got quite a long way. And then I started talking to Will and his idea was kind of much bigger and much more exciting. <laughs> uh, so, so I switched. <laughs> nice. um, but it Dude. felt, I think at the start, it felt quite, it felt all right. I mean, I had, we both had a bit of savings and, and quite a lot of contacts in the industry. And so we kind of felt that we'd be okay as is usual, it took kind of twice as long as we expected to, to get anywhere and build stuff. But Yeah. I mean, in, in, in terms of, um, you know, as for how I found it, because, you know, at the end of the day, when we started Play Canvas, I was like 35 or something, and, um, uh, and I'd always wanted to start my own company, always, always, always. And, uh, you know, it seemed like I'd had to wait such a long time for that, to, where it's going to the point where I thought if I get to the age of 40 and I still haven't done it um, it's just never going to happen um, <laughs> but, at, but, but at the same time yeah, you can't just start a company just because you feel like it you, there has to be the opportunity there to make it worthwhile um, and it was genuinely the case that, you know, that all the planets aligned um, you know, the HTML5 came along at the right time, there was a real opportunity this had these technologies had the, you know, a real potential to change the way the industry plays uh, and makes games, um, and I just thought this is too good to pass up. I mean, it's, it's still a, it's still a gamble, it's still a risk, but um, uh, it just seems the perfect opportunity to uh, build something just completely new, um, and I mean, you know, Dave being available as well was fantastic so we could uh, work together on the project and um, yeah it just it totally worked out it's funny how timing works sometimes and I, I think the HTML5 has created a lot of opportunities with uh, like just all the companies out there who are interested in it and just want to kind of experiment with it and throw some money at it and see what sticks and all that that's that's really the way that we've survived like it's I have no doubt in my mind that if we hadn't been working with HTML5 we would not have survived our first year of independence no doubt in my mind like if we were using something else, like you know, Flash or something, like there would not have been enough uh, just industry interest to keep us afloat. Yeah, it was kind of interesting actually in the early days when we were making demos that um, uh, you actually were able to get coverage for sort of little marketing demos that you put out just for the fact that it was HTML5. Right. Um, you know, if we'd have done it uh, just. Our, done our demos, say in I don't know uh, the Unity web plugin or something like that. Nobody would have cared because that technology wasn't new. But because um, 
you were able to push the boundaries with a new technology, um, it got picked up and it got passed around on social networks and it, demos got picked up by the tech press and people were saying, hey, check out what you can do with this new technology. And, it, and it, a lot of excitement built around that. Um, and, you know, that was how it was when we started. And, and I guess since then, over the last uh, two or three years, it's been a bit of a roller coaster because, you know, there's been points at which HTML5 has had um, a lot of good things said about it and there's been other times where uh, people have been pretty down on it. Uh, I'm thinking about the Facebook incident, but uh, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. But uh, but I think we're definitely coming out of that now, and some real, you know, some incredible momentum is being generated at the moment. So that's pretty exciting to see. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of this slide actually that Intel is showing at HTML5 DevConf, where you know there's this kind of graph that shows the interest in HTML5, or really almost any new technology. But you know, there's this huge peak of hype. Uh, where people are like, this is the best thing since sliced bread and it's going to change the world and et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, it kind of doesn't live up to those promises right away. So you have this big fall off where everyone gets really, you know, down on the tech. They're like, you know, it doesn't deliver and it's too hard and the tooling's not there and support's not there and whatever else. Uh, and then what you get is kind of this slow build where the people that are really invested in it kind of keep plugging away and it just kind of gets incrementally better and better and better until uh, it gets to the point where, you know, it becomes a viable platform and then it starts to see... Um, more sustained growth, and that's you know where they felt that HTML5 was at now, right? Where we're, we're finally kind of like turning the corner in the sense that um, it's a viable platform, and, and people can are starting to actually appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, so I, I mean, cool. what's what's going to um, prove things out at the end of the day is is the content that people generate uh, on HTML5, and um, uh, we're still at the point now where. A lot of people are just experimenting still um, and producing some really uh, amazing projects, but um, uh, but that's you know the the quality of of, of games and, and demos that we're seeing being built is is constantly increasing, and people are continuing to push the boundaries. Um, I mean, if you look at um, say what Mozilla are doing with the uh, Mscriptum project at the moment, um, I don't know if you've you've talked about Mscriptum on a previous podcast, but um, uh, is basically um, a piece of technology which can translate C, C++ code to LVM code and then through to JavaScript code. And so suddenly we're seeing some um, very sort of robust um, sort of open source technologies coming from the C++ world into the browser. So, for example, our physics engine in Play Canvas is actually a JavaScript uh, translation of of the Bullets physics engine, um, and you know because we're seeing some of these technologies now running uh, via JavaScript in the browser, uh, you can achieve so much more. I mean, if you if you go to the mscripts inside and you see all of the projects that that uh, you, that you now have ex access to as a web developer, it's pretty astonishing. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that earlier uh, when you were talking about your physics engine, uh, if you had written it from scratch or if it was something that you were leveraging from another company or? No, because, I mean, uh, we're, we're quite a small team. So um, we try to make use of open source technologies where it makes sense to do so. Um, so although um, Dave has his uh, physics uh, degree, um, I, think, I think it still makes sense for us to use something like bullets. So... Um, it's a it's a well proven 
uh, physics engine that's been used in many AAA console titles. Um, so we've had pretty much zero issues using it um, in Play Canvas, and um, uh, and because uh, browsers are now being optimized to run mscript and generated JavaScript code very very quickly. It means that we get absolutely awesome performance uh, with the with the physics engine, and um, that's just going to keep continuing. Actually, I mean, uh, so it started off with Firefox, um, obviously, because they run the mscript and project, uh, so they have um, uh, very good support for um, mscript and code. But uh, Google's been doing some awesome optimizations in V8 to support um, the running of the subset of JavaScript that mscript and generates. Now, is that similar to the ASM.js stuff that Mozilla is doing? Exactly. That's what it is. It's, it's, so the code that uh, Inscription generates is ASM.js, yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah, that uh, the Banana Bread demo was uh, fairly recently, I guess, it was pretty impressive as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And all of that technology is just completely translated across from C++, the whole engine. Yeah. Wow. Including and the I mean the Unreal Engine, they converted one of the Unreal demos. Yeah. I mean, Play so Canvas is is kind of hybrid because most of it, well, everything that's not the physics engine, is just hand coded JavaScript. But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's various engines out there that have been ported completely from C plus plus. There's this really rich ecosystem of uh, AAA tools. Like, there's entire companies that do nothing but just make better and better tools. I mean, I'm sure you guys know all about that. But I think that anywhere where you see like a like a company that that makes a tool for AAA game dev, like that's that's a gap right there. Like, you're gonna see that same type of service uh, be catered for the web eventually. Yeah, and I think the great thing is that you can totally reimagine these tools. Uh, to work in a web environment where right. suddenly it's all about collaboration and social working and being able to to reach your audience really really quickly and I think that's incredibly exciting you know the fact that um, I can start working on a game and I can invite you guys into my game just by pasting uh, the link into the Skype call and then you're, you're immediately working with me on that game and then when we're done um, we just uh, click a couple of buttons and the game is live on the web and we can tweet that out, put it on Facebook and it can be consumed uh, instantaneously by um, you know, the entire you know, if, you're, if you're out there on the web and you, you, you find the link then you can, you can play this content without having to install anything it's just completely fric frictionless Yeah, that's really awesome um, I think that you guys have described it before but you know, by kind of being a GitHub for games uh, which I think is really interesting because GitHub has done a lot for you know collaborative development on the web, and that's a really interesting thing to bring to game development. They made open source exciting, which I think is a feat in and of itself. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so, so the way that um, Play Canvas works is that when you when you log in for the first time as a new user, um, you uh, a, a, you know all of your projects default to being public. Um, so. Uh, we have an option whereby you can kind of upgrade your accounts uh, to work in private, but we encourage people to work in public. And the reason we do that is to um, sort of stoke the community, to encourage people to work together and to learn from each other, um, because that's incredibly powerful. And people, um, okay, so you know, if you were a very large commercial 
games publisher, you probably wouldn't want to do that. But I think um, the majority of, um, say, student developers, enthusiast programmers and game developers, and, you know, maybe if you're like a small indie dev, maybe that's perfectly okay for you. That's, uh, that's kind of the audience for HTML5 right now is all those people you listed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So it so. sounds like you guys are pursuing a business model similar to that of GitHub. Is that correct? Where they're like you offer, um, basically, you, you have all the same tooling that's for free, but then um, for like a, is it a per month type thing? That, and then you get some premium uh, features? Or how does that work? Yeah, so uh, it's pretty similar to GitHub. That's correct. Um, so there is a monthly subscription that you can sign up to. And um, the main thing that you get if you are a subscriber is that you can uh, create uh, private uh, repositories. And um, uh, there's a few other things as well. So we, th there's a few um, other restrictions which are slightly relaxed. So that the amount of uh, source asset data that you can have uh, in your account is increased. And... Um, the, the, the size of the teams that you can form are bigger. Um, but generally speaking, um, you know, the free accounts are, are pretty, pretty generous and um, uh, you, can, you, can, you can make some pretty impressive games with, uh, with that. But yeah, if you want to start doing something a bit more commercially focused, then, um, then upgrading is, is what we recommend to our users, yeah. Cool. And is, uh, is there like a, a range or is there just like a, like a one, one option for like the fee? And what, what would that be for like our listeners? Yeah, there's, uh, so we've got an initial tier uh, set up, uh, which is um, $15 a month, so it's uh, incredibly cheap. And, um, but really, it's, it's just to, um, you know, we've set up this initial tier uh, for working in private to kind of set the expectation that, uh, yes, it's, it's, it's a free service, but there's a premium element to it as well. So um, we will... Uh, um, in all likelihood introduce um, one or more t uh, additional tiers in the future that have um, you know additional features but um, that's something for uh, the future and it's not something that we've um, really planned out in any great t detail right now um, but at the end of the day we are a commercial service so uh, we uh, are running um, quite a complicated server-side infrastructure um, and that's not cheap to do. Totally. Um, so uh, at the end of the day, you know, we uh, charge for um, these subscriptions because um, you know we have to support that service. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we uh, we the ultimate goal is to allow our developers to be able to monetize their own games. Um, so if you're a developer and you want to start start building a game on Play Canvas, then you should be able to publish that wherever you choose and um, make money from that, whether that's on playcanvas.com or it's on um, the iOS App Store or it's on Google Play or any other uh, distribution channel. Um, and that's one of the great things about HTML5 is that um, you know it is so cross-platform that um, you can target so many different um, you know, uh, publishing channels. So, and, and you guys have um, blogged about this yourselves. You know, by getting your games running, packaged up on on, on different operating systems, and um, uh, and I think that's that's really exciting. It's definitely th something we want to make very easy for our users. So, um, 
you know, just be able to take any of your Play Canvas games and to uh, trivially uh, deploy them to to app stores um, or just to, in a couple of uh, uh, mouse clicks to be able to publish live to PlayCanvas.com. That's incredibly powerful. Uh, we talk about this a lot, but um, are you guys familiar with Node WebKit? Yeah, I've read about that. So there's quite a few different um, sort of browser engines that have been packaged up uh, to allow you to wrap up your your game for deployment to app stores, and that's that's just um, one of them. Um, I haven't played with it yet. I think you guys have. Does it yeah. does it do mobile? Stuff? No, it doesn't do mobile. It's purely yeah. desktop, but it does uh, Windows, Mac, and Linux. I mean, it's a, essentially it's just Chromium without all the UI and other Chrome-related stuff. Um, and yeah. so it's it's really nice because we develop mostly in Chrome, and so it's a very kind of one-to-one um, development environment to production environment for games that you launch on the desktop. And there's other solutions for mobile as well, but um, I find that Node WebKit is very easy. Uh, because there's not a lot of trickery going on. It's basically the exact same environment that you'd be running in Chrome, um, just kind of packaged up in a way that, uh, one, gives you a very finite control over which version of Chromium you're using uh, and kind of forcing your users uh, of your game to be using Chrome <laughs> or Chromium. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, Firefox and, and IE obviously are, are getting pretty good with the support of all these APIs, but... Um, for us, for instance, we like to use the GamePad API, and that's Chrome only at the moment. And so, you know, we can package our game for desktop and guarantee that people will be able to use their GamePads uh, in our game. So, can you guys uh, walk us through, say, like, say you've got a game on Play Canvas, right? And, like, what's the process of, say, I want to take my Play Canvas game and now put that on, um, like, iOS App Store? Sure. Okay. So, um, there's a number of different routes you can take, but I'll talk you through the one which I would recommend. Um, so the way it works is that uh, you, so you have your game uh, project in Play Canvas, and uh, you have a dashboard for your project. And in the dashboard, it lists um, uh, the exports of your game. And an export is basically like a checkpoint. So at any point, you can say, generate me an export, and that will be a zip file containing like a snapshot. And uh, so you can either publish your app, um, your uh, export directly to playcanvas.com, at which point it's live on the web and anybody can play it, or um, you can download it to your um, your uh, sort of host file system, and then you can do whatever you like with it. You could either self-host it, or if you want, um, you can uh, wrap that up um, using a uh, HTML5 native wrapper, uh, and then deploy that to the App Store. Now, the one which uh, we use is uh, Cocoon.js from Ludai. And um, so they've got a very cool uh, app which you can install on, um, on your Android device or on your um, iOS device. And it's called the Cocoon.js launcher. And what it, what it allows you to do is uh, type in a, a URL and um, the launcher will effectively just go and download all of the um, those those sort of web assets into the launcher and it will run them um, as if that game was sort of natively wrapped uh, for deployment. Um, so you can really quickly publish your Play Canvas game to the web and then you can point the launcher at that published game and you can verify immediately that it works. 
and then when it when it does, um, when you've done your testing, then you can uh, submit your uh, game to uh, Ludai's website uh, to be cloud compiled into um, an iOS um, uh, executable or an APK. Um, so the process is made incredibly simple by that launcher application. Yeah, we we swear by Cocoon JS. We use it for all of our mobile purposes, um, and it's it's super awesome. So it's it sounds like someone could do the same thing um, for desktop and like for like the, we were just talking about Node WebKit. So like that could be the same thing as you go into your Play Canvas game, you export your game, you get a zip, and then you could just stick that directly into Node WebKit, and all of a sudden you've got a uh, desktop game made in Play Canvas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and what I did quite some time ago was um, I diligently read your blog entry about um, porting HTML5 games to macOS 10. Oh, yeah. And um, I, I reproduced the, the steps that you use to um, uh, port a Play Canvas game, uh, which kind of works okay. But um, it sounds like um, Node WebKit is a better solution. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different technologies that allows you to do this, uh, this kind of thing. And... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's becoming easier as time goes on. Yeah, I, I will put a link to that article in the show notes, but I'd imagine, especially with the release of Mavericks, that it's quite out of date and probably won't work for people, but it could push you in the right direction. Um, basically, the way that works is uh, you just create, like, you make a new project in Xcode, and then you add just a web view, which is just like a like a native Xcode object. And then basically what that was is just a wrapped up version of Safari. So that's really close to like what Node WebKit's doing, where it's really just a wrapped up version of Chrome. But the downside is that um, all that work that you do is specific just to OS X, whereas the work that we do with Node WebKit now, that is shippable across Windows, Mac, and Linux. And then the only downside of Node WebKit that we've seen so far is like the current versions of it, you cannot actually submit to the Mac App Store because it uses some private APIs. That, like oh, okay. You can still sell your DMG files or like PKG files or whatever. Uh, and, and people can still install them on their Macs, but the Mac App Store itself won't currently accept those submissions. But it looks like there might be some workarounds, so that might be something, uh, even that problem might disappear eventually. Yeah. And I think the dream would be you click publish on Play Canvas and you get a version of the web and you get a version for Mac, Linux, and uh, Windows and a version for iPhone and Android as well that dream is is really close because like the way like in our stack the way it works is like we we get a like we can just call a a command like gin build and then we have a a version of our game that we upload directly to luday's servers and then they email us an xcode project in apk and like bam we're, we're there on mobile and then like jeff has um some some scripts and stuff he runs to get <laughs> node web gets kind of crazy because it's like there's windows 7 windows 8 linux 32 bit linux so i mean jeff could walk you through all that but there's like there's a lot of stuff on desktop <laughs> but like it does feel like we're like tantalizingly close to that solution where you just go build and it's like bam every <laughs> every platform you might care about here's here's that you know and we yeah. currently build five desktop targets it's osx 10.7 and above osx 10.6 uh, because Chrome broke at a certain point uh, on ten point six, and so we have to use a very an older version of Chrome or Chromium uh, for that for ten point six and below, and uh, Linux thirty two, Linux sixty four, and then Windows thirty two. Yeah. So, <laughs> so HTML five in general is very close to that um, that sweet spot where it's just like easy peasy across all platforms. It's it's pretty wonderful. 
Yeah. Um, I'm kind of interested in, in your guys' experience with Techstars. Um, I know that was something that you guys did recently, and um, if you don't mind talking about that, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I mean, that, that, was, that was an amazing experience. So um, it's, it's a short program. It's only 13 weeks long, but uh, it's absolutely transformed uh, our business. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we became aware of the, the program earlier this year, and, um, you know, we, we decided to apply. Um, the, uh, I, think, I think there were like 1,300 companies which applied and they selected 10 wow. um, and then uh, so the, the the program itself is broken down broadly into into three sections so the, the first section is uh, four weeks of mentoring and you're introduced to about um, 80 to 100 uh, different business people so they could be um, you know company directors or they could be just sort of experts in, in certain areas of business um, and they will introduce you, you to their network of, of uh, contacts um, you know, if, if they're kind of relevant to your business um, and they just give you feedback on, on what you're doing and, and they tell you where, where they think uh, you're going wrong and what you're doing right and so that's kind of um, it's, it's, it's hard to uh, manage all of this incoming information because uh, you know, you're being told conflicting things, and you have to kind of cut through all of the all of the feedback you're getting and kind of make sense of it. But ultimately, it's very useful. And then, um, so the second part of it was uh, a more kind of product focused uh, segment where um, you you basically implement a lot of the the feedback that you got. Um, and it was at that point when we took Play Canvas into open beta um, because everybody was saying, you know. You guys are ready. You know you should release this now and, and um, uh, allow people to start making games with that. Um, and then uh, the third section was um, mainly to do with preparing for a, a demo day. Um, so the, the kind of culmination of the program was um, this uh, crazy event that was held at a, a big theater in London's Victoria, and. Uh, uh, I think uh, approximately 350 investors and uh, journalists uh, turned up on the day and uh, all of the 10 companies uh, presented. Um, I think everybody, every company had about 10 minutes to show, that, show their product and um, I mean that was just an incredible experience for Dave and I to be on stage showing something that we poured our heart and soul into for the last sort of two or three years so that was you know an incredible experience awesome yeah. so it's uh i guess you would do it again then yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> recommended I, 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 by play I canvas anybody working in the html5 space to um take a look at your business um you know tell yourself why it's so innovative and then go and tell Techstars and tell them why they should take you on because um, it will accelerate your your business just to such an incredible degree. Awesome. Are they like a, an incubator? Or do they provide funding, or is it just kind of the mentorship? They do. They do provide funding, but it's it's um, yeah, it's not a huge amount of money. Uh, the the value that you get from Techstars is well, in my eyes, it's 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 more down to the network that you're joining. You're joining a family, mm -hmm. and um, just because the program has finished. 
uh, doesn't mean that, that relationship ends. It continues, and uh, you still have access to all these people. And um, uh, just some remarkably talented individuals who who can just make a massive uh, difference to your business. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's textiles isn't the only accelerator. It's probably one of the best known ones, and um, it's got a great pedigree. So, I definitely recommend that one. But um, uh, I mean. You know, joining an accelerator gives you access to um, just you know a great network to um, help you on the business side of things. So Dave and I, by uh, you know, in terms of our experience, we're both very technical people. Um, uh, Dave did physics at university. I did I did computing, um, and we've both been engineers. Um, but you know, when you when you uh, join uh, an accelerator, you suddenly meet people who can advise you on. Um, you know, uh, sort of the legals, uh, the financials, um, your marketing strategy, uh, lots of different elements uh, to do with running running your business, which um, maybe we spent less time doing before the uh, before joining Techstars. Uh, that rings true for us as well. I mean, Matt and I are both engineers by trade, and writing code and creating things is kind of what we love to do. And uh, you know, starting your own business means that you actually have to do business and marketing and all these other things that we were just, you know, probably very ill-prepared for uh, originally. And so it's been a really interesting ride. And I'm sure that your guys' experience kind of mirrors that as well. Yeah, I think, I think one, of the, one of the biggest things you get out of one of those accelerators is they force you to think about all the stuff that you either don't want to think about or you just didn't know about. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, just and, and you know, it, it took me a long time to realize that when I'm not sat in front of my computer coding, I, it is actually work, <laughs> or it yeah. can be anyway. Because <laughs> yep. um, I'm so used to, if, you know, my productivity has been measured in how many features did I implement that day, you know. So, so kind of changing that attitude a bit was, was one of the big things that it did. Oh, yeah. Oh, we have the same uh, experience. You know, I, I've had to become comfortable with being not in the code a lot. Yeah. I'm still yeah, uncomfortable I mean, with it. But. <laughs> so, 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 so one of the things that we spend a lot of time doing now is um, sort of you know outreach-based activities for the game dev community. So um, we get involved in a lot of um, sort of events that that take place, especially in the UK because that's where we're based. But um, uh, I mean, as an example, uh, Dave runs a meetup in London. Uh, it's the London HTML5 Game Dev Meetup. And um, so that takes place once a month, and um, yeah, we do presentation nights, and uh, uh, I mean, so kind of getting involved in those events, um, it's it's quite time consuming, and um, I guess if you're kind of if you if you're going to look at it purely from a business point of view, um, it's not immediately obvious like what what the sort of return on investment is for doing that. But, but ultimately, what is important is that you understand the community. You, 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 know, you, 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 understand, you have an appreciation for what they want to build, what they need to be able to build uh, those projects, and um, that you, know, you, uh, you build a relationship with those people. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, so it's not coding, but, but it's, uh, it's still pretty rewarding. I think that kind of thing in general is just really healthy for uh, engineers by trade, especially ones like us who are 
just workaholics because it's like if nothing ever happened to us we would just sit in these holes and code and we might yeah. never make any meaningful connections in the world you know and like you were saying it can be hard to like look at your bottom line and be like look i've got a massive list of critical bugs like and and tonight i have to go to this meetup thing and that can feel counterintuitive because you're like it doesn't feel like this is moving the business forward or something you know but that's the same kind of thing with like this this podcast like the way the reason we do it is to kind of get us out of our shell to reach out to people to establish relationships and just like have a conversation you know do something that's not just being in this tunnel <laughs> working in the void and just uh and getting work done it's like i don't know it's it's healthy and uh overall i think it's it definitely has positive um impacts on your business and uh and your life <laughs> yeah i mean the london html5 game html5 game dev meetup is one of the easiest things to do because it's basically organizing a night in the pub with a bunch of people <laughs> like me right so <laughs> it's not that's not much of a chore to be honest uh, right carrying all that beer is a real pain though yeah, that's true yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially when somebody doesn't turn up on time oh <laughs> <laughs> oh no you've opened a wound <laughs> so uh <clears throat> you guys probably wear all kinds of hats in your business um what is one of the most challenging things uh for play canvas so far that you guys have experienced oh god dave you start <laughs> <laughs> jeff with the hard pressing questions uh, i mean technically it's been how much there is to learn when you're a small team just I need to you know know how database servers work and I need to know how web servers work and I need to write code in three different languages and make sure it's tested and deployed and and now recently we've got new people starting and it's kind of making sure that they're happy doing all that as well so like on a technical level that's probably the most difficult thing is just trying to stay on top of everything yeah um, I'd agree with that actually uh, I think um you know, for me, I've, I've had to take on a lot of uh, different tasks on a daily basis that are completely unrelated. And um, doing that context switch all the time is hard to get used to, you know. Uh, but, you know, it's, I think it's, um, you know, when, when, when you start out with a new business, um, you just have to, you have to be prepared to um, be able to take on anything you know you if if in the morning you can be doing your your tax returns and then in the afternoon you'll have to go and give a presentation to 100 people and um, you have to be agile enough to be able to juggle all these things and um, it takes it takes some practice to do it but um, it's uh, it's it's just a, it's just a learned skill to be honest um, you know, if, if you're used to just going into doing a job at a big company uh, from nine to five and, you know, you, you pretty much do the same thing every day, it's, a, it's quite a culture shock, but, um, but anybody can get used to it. Right. Yeah, it's, it's an intimidating thing. And it can be overwhelming. And to a lot of people, it just looks too scary. Like they might be interested in it, but they never end up doing it. And uh, it is, it is quite frightening and all that, but uh, it's very rewarding. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a learned skill. Like you pick it up eventually. Yeah. And you have to get, yeah. And again, it's the same sort of thing. You have to get used to the fact that just because you're not coding 
that doesn't mean you're not working. Right. Um, because it, it would be very easy and, you know, without with the textiles thing really helped to see this, but I think uh, for any of the kind of companies like you guys and like us, it's, it would be incredibly easy to just sit in your room and write code for three years and then kind of put it out silently onto the internet and hope people noticed it. Right. Uh, and that unfortunately doesn't work usually. <laughs> no, like that um, happens to some people, but that's like a, it's like getting struck by lightning. It's like, that's not the norm. It's not likely to happen. Like you have to work yeah. really hard to get people to care about your creations. Yeah. And even when you think it's happened, the kind of the overnight success that's 10 years in the making sort yeah. of thing, that it, it, it doesn't, even when you think it's happened, it probably hasn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Yeah. There's all these things that feel like small victories, but you can't really... Yeah, they're hard to measure. Yeah. So uh, what's next on the horizon for Play Canvas? Well, well uh, yeah, go <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, I mean, if we just kind of step back a couple of months, I mean, we've just gone into open beta. So that's relatively new for us. And um, so we're in this phase at the moment where we're scaling the platform up. Um, and uh, we're kind of, you know, uh, just basically on a daily basis looking at what our users are doing and going through this iterative loop of um, kind of fixing any issues that come up and then evaluating again and going back and also we do a great deal of um, sort of uh, talking to our user base, find out um, you know, what they're doing in the tools, what they like, what they don't like and, and fixing, fixing those problems. Um, now uh, I think Longer term, I mean, we've we've talked about some of these uh, features already, but in you know, uh, making it easier for people to be able to publish their game out is is quite a um, a big ticket feature for us. So, um, smoothing that process of being able to um, not just publish your game to the web, but getting 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 it. Uh, as a native application on different operating systems and uploaded to app stores, that that's a pretty major feature. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, mainly though, uh, it, we're not really kind of. It's not like we've got a calendar of features we're going to be deploying over the next um, one to two years. We're, we're it's it's more about um, perfecting the workflows that we've already got and making uh, the the system scale to a much uh, bigger degree. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's something that we can manage over time. Cool. cool. Well, is there anything well, else that uh, you guys wanted to plug other than obviously playcanvas.com? Hmm. Let me let me see. So uh, we <laughs> talked about uh, some uh, places where you can go and go and buy assets uh, online uh, if you're a developer and you want access to cool content. And um, so probably most of the people uh, listening to the podcast know about sites like Turbo Squid, maybe um, where you can buy three D three D assets. There's there's another uh, site called uh, CG Trader that's pretty cool. Um, I go I I download really great uh, characters and animations from a site called Mixamo. Uh, have you guys heard of Mixamo? I haven't. Okay, so it's it's another cloud service. Actually, you can. Um, uh, go to it and you can select a character or upload one of your own characters and you can apply one of this vast library 
of uh, mocap sequences, and then you can just download it and put that character into Play Canvas. Um, it's an absolutely awesome service. I'd recommend checking that out. Um, can you think of any others, Dave? Uh, I think that's the main thing. I, I mean, I think that's one of the cool things is all these services popping up, isn't it, that, that you can feed into Play Canvas is, um, is really cool. But no, I think the main thing is go to Play Canvas. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, use <laughs> I will include links to uh, all those services you mentioned. Um, on or in the show notes and i think actually last time we met at gdc you guys showed us a demo where you uh it was very raw where you just went to one of these sites you just searched for some random thing you downloaded an asset and you uploaded it to play canvas and then like bam it was on your stage and that was that was really slick to see and that was quite a while yeah. ago so like you guys are uh yeah. moving forward well yeah. I, th I think um I, th I think uh in the future what you'll be seeing more and more of is some of these cloud services start to link up. So, um, you know, instead of just having to go to a site, download something, and then upload it to another cloud service, you'll be able to say, hey, send me this content to my project. And it will just send it server to server. Nice. Right, that sounds really easy. I like that one click. And that's a monetization opportunity for both parties. So, Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That sounds cool. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Um, you guys are doing really interesting stuff, so it's always cool to hear about it. Well, thanks, thanks for having us. Great. Uh, I think that's our show for this week. Um, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.
It's a podcast. It's it's a podcast.